Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Imagine you're church shopping in the fourth century. You wouldn't have many choices in your neighborhood. The Diocletian persecution had just ended in 311 with the emperor's death. And two years later, Constantine would make Christianity legal with the Edict of Milan. Ignoring the multi-jurisdictional issues the church faces today, the church is, was organized then much like it is today, organized under bishops responsible for their local areas and regions. It was not like you were going to get up and move to find a new church, so you were pretty much stuck with whatever you had where you were. Perhaps you could have found a pagan sect you liked, or you could decide to convert to Judaism, but finding another church would not have been easy. Perhaps in some major urban centers like Carthage, you might have had a choice between an Orthodox and a Donatist church. And in case you've forgotten what the Donatists were, they are a heretical sect who did not want to reconcile with Christians who had renounced their faith during the Diocletian persecution. But anyway, back to our story. So imagine that you walk into a beautiful, seemingly orthodox church and hear the following hymn. There was a time when the sun did not exist. Sounds pretty catchy. Another line from the tune. There was a time when he was not. I think I can hear a praise band picking that up right about now. The origins of the phrase are attributed to Arius, a priest from Alexandria in the early 4th century. And you might think that you would walk out the door, head down the street to find the next Orthodox parish you could find, except that's the funny thing. You'd hear them singing that hymn too, and the next parish over, and the next one. The Arian heresy that Jesus was just a man, now the pinnacle of man mankind, mind you, but just a man, not also God, was the majority view among what you would consider for all the world orthodox churches, bishops, and priests at the time. And its source was not some pagan trying to steal members to support their religious movement. It was a legitimate orthodox priest, Father Arius, ordained by an orthodox bishop from a line of bishops just a few generations later than when Christ himself walked the streets of Jerusalem. So you might have been disgusted when you heard that first church sing that song and walk out. But when you visited St. John's next week and heard the same thing, and St. Matthew's the following Sunday, what then? Would you trust that your priests and bishops are right? After all, they went to seminary and you did not. They're the ones who have received the laying on of hands, the ones that the crowd exclaimed, Oxios, Oxios, he is worthy, he is worthy. Jesus warns us today to beware of false prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are two aspects that I think are very important for us to learn from today's lesson, and the Arian controversy grounds that warning right within the history of the church. First, we're not looking for an obvious wolf, and second, that being the case, how do we find them? So on the first point, wolves in sheep's clothing are not obvious wolves. Jesus is not warning us about the televangelist on TV and certainly not about the member of the local gang who's trying to woo you into joining. Not at all. He's indeed warning us about folks like Arius. Now Arius gets a bad rap, and yes, I guess it's deserved, but not because he was going around having a reasoned discussion about the things we just talked about. Arius was a beloved priest, and 
I would guess, he was a pretty good man overall. He was certainly quite learned, and I have no doubt that he thought he was doing the right thing. I also feel pretty certain that he had his flock and the entire church's best interest in mind. Arius is exactly what a wolf in sheep's clothing looks like. And furthermore, Christ isn't saying that the wolf is bad for being ravenous. That's just the nature of wolves. They have to eat just like us. Jesus isn't telling us to look out for folks that clearly have secondary gain in mind, but those like Arius, who just want the best for everyone. And that's where the danger begins. And this is a good place to point out that what makes you a heretic is not what, not that you say or even teach something that's contrary to the faith, it's that you don't back down when confronted with the truth. And in fact, that's what happened at the First Council of Nicaea when Arius was condemned. And unfortunately, he and his followers did not back down, and Arianism survived for centuries. But luckily, there at the council, there were folks like St. Athanasius, a deacon, and St. Nicholas, a bishop, and the many others who came blinded and maimed by the Diocletian persecution, who stood against the majority. To give you a sense of how significant their stand was, Athanasius carries the title Contra Mundum, against the world. Not in the usual sense that we're Christians not of this world, it really meant, in an actual sense, Athanasius and the few hundred bishops of the Council of Nicaea took on the rest of the world when all hope could have been lost. What would you do? Would you have been content to sit in the pews and let something you distrusted stand? Or would you have fought like Athanasius and Nicholas? And don't for a minute think you need credentials to stand against the wolves. Take the Council of Florence in the 15th century where a reconciliation of the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches was attempted. All but one of the Orthodox bishops voted for the terms of the reconciliation. But there was a lot to swallow for the Orthodox, including the papacy and the filioque. And when those bishops got home to their episcopates and parishes, the laity rose up and said, no way, Jose. So yes, you must choose to stand against the wolves. You don't have an option. So the second point, if we are responsible, and not just our leaders, for detecting and rooting out the wolves in sheep's clothing, how do we detect one? Well, I think we've made clear you can't just look for a wolf. That's the whole point. The people we are being warned about look just like sheep. They look just like the good guys and gals. And so, if you want to find a wolf in sheep's clothing, look around the church, not outside of it. They'll be a baptized, chrismated, regular communicant in the Orthodox Church, just like Arius. They may be very learned. They may be a leader or a layperson. They may be someone you've known for years, someone you trust, someone you love. And again, that's the most dangerous aspect of this. They're not necessarily being false. That's to say they are indeed honest in their dealings. They really do love you and care for you. They really do want the best for you. They're not demonic. They're good people. So how can we detect these wolves in sheep's clothing? Jesus tells us by their fruits. Well, what are their fruits? Well, I can't easily tell you that part, but I can tell you what their fruit is not. And thereby, that'll help you recognize the wolves themselves. St. Paul tells us today in our epistle from Romans 8, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What does it mean to live according to the flesh? To me, it in part means to take the path of least resistance. 
And that's not what Christ demonstrated to us. We as Christians are instead to take up our cross, by which we must freely give up our will and transform it into the will of God. Probably the hardest thing for any of us to do. And that leads us to the famous passage from Galatians 5, where Paul tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. I then say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, but these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of rash, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Arius' doctrine can be put to the test. It's not like you can really see it in the lists of orgies and drunkenness and idolatry and fornication and all these things. But it's still easy to put it to the test because it's easy for us to believe that Jesus was just a man. It fits our sensibilities as human beings. After all, when you think about the two natures of Christ, that he's 100% God and 100% man without confusion or separation, it's beyond our comprehension. It is not the easy way out to believe in what Christ really was. And real Christianity is hard, period. If you're looking for a nice place just to sing some songs, hear an entertaining story, and hang out with your friends on Sunday, I'm sorry to tell you you've come to the wrong place. Real Christianity is hard. Just look at Christ and the saints. It's a constant struggle, a struggle that leads to death. If not our actual death by martyrdom, a death of our will to be replaced by the glorious will of God. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And in Arius' case, the human passion that was manifest was for a clear, logical human understanding. An understanding that can't be had because Christ's nature is beyond human comprehension. And so finally, as I promised, I want to tell you what the fruits of the wolves in sheep's clothing are not. And that if you have not already guessed, it's the fruit of the Spirit. I want to note that the fruit of the Spirit is singular in contrast to the fruits of the wolves or the works of the flesh. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are not the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, etc. are the fruit of the Spirit, just as red, juicy, externally seeded, and sweet are the fruit of the strawberry plant. All of these characteristics in unity are the essence of the fruit of the Spirit. We are only true sheep when our fruit is that one fruit of the Spirit. And when we bear that fruit, we bear all of its abundance at once, not in parts. If just some of the parts are there, perhaps we're seeing a sheep in a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. The fruits of the fruits 
of the wolves in sheep's clothing are as manifold as the many passions of humankind. And each one of those passions is a plant with deep roots, which, which manifests various fruits. As Deacon Finn told us last week, the devil wants to sow confusion. After all, he asked the first question in the Bible. The devil's way is one of discord, confusion, and disunity, whereas God's way, the way of the Spirit, is unity. So when you're testing the things you hear, always look for the unified fruit of the Spirit. Don't look for one part without the others. Make sure you discern them in all of their fullness, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look for the sacrifice and cross-bearing of Christ. Look for the narrow and hard way, and you will avoid being eaten by wolves. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.